Uh, while I get myself ready, I would like you to partake in an experiment with me that I, I did this experiment with some of my classes this week. So what I want you to do is I want you to think back over your life and I want you to think, has there been a person in your life who's had a significant influence? Now, don't pick your parents. They're the obvious ones. Okay? But other than your parents, can you think of a person who at some point in your life has had a, a big influence on you? I want you to picture that person. Right? You can tell, the, tell someone around you about that person while I get myself set up. Okay? Okay, so I want to thank you this morning for coming along to this maths lesson. Some of my students in the room who are shaking their head quietly. Um, what I would say to my classes now is, right, well, to begin the lesson, you're going to need a few things. You're going to need a pencil. You're going to need some paper because there's some notes. Uh, I did make notes for this morning if you grabbed a copy, but I apologize in advance if we go off those. Uh, I'm feeling a bit dangerous this morning. Um, you're going to need your Bible, and if you want to warm up your Bible and get it ready, we're going to start in Ephesians. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you the story of, of the person that had a big influence in my life. Uh, when I was in year nine, that's third form in the old speak, uh, I chose to do French. And on the first day of French, I, uh, I snuck into the French class along with the other students, and there was this teacher there, and this was, he was a big man, tall and uh, solid, shall we say, and he said to us, he said, this is how you say, this, this is the French for, how do I say this in French? And this is the French for, can I go to the bathroom? And then he said, that's it, no more English. We're just going to learn, everything in here from now is French. Everything on the wall in the classroom was French, no English words, nothing, uh, and it was deep end therapy. And the thing about this teacher was he had some rules, boy, did he have some rules. If your watch beat during his class, detention. If you hadn't done your homework, don't even ask, detention. If the door opened at the back of the classroom because a runner came in to gather someone and you turned around to check, detention. He was all about zero distraction. You are here to learn French. You're in, you might as well have been in France in his lesson. And he could go from calmly teaching, as I am doing now, to full-blown rage in seconds. And so I would sit in his class in terror. Terror, what am I going to make it through the lesson? I did all my homework. Yeah, all my homework. I would, I would take my watch off before we went into class and leave it outside in the bag, because I was scared, yeah? Um, but this teacher that I was scared of, scared of was a fantastic, I mean, I learned French. And when we got to year 11, that's fifth form, and I sat my exams, and I went on holiday, and I was blissfully ignorant of school. I was halfway through January, just got back from the beach, and the results arrived. And in those days, they arrived in the mail. You didn't look them up, you looked in the mail, and Opened them up with mum, you know. Mum was mum will remember the the uh, trepidation that we opened up the results, and they were they were okay. They were pretty good. And I went outside to relax, and the phone rang. Mum answered, and she yelled for me to come in. The phone's for you. It's your teacher. 
And my French teacher rang me at home in the middle of the school summer holidays, and he said, I've seen your results, and I'm proud of you. Like, I, I didn't know what to say. You know, merci, merci, monsieur. <laughs> and that changed my life because I realized this teacher cared. He cared enough in his summer holidays to go into school, to go through the paper records and find my file and find my home number and ring me at home to tell me I'd done well and he was proud of me. I reckon that's probably a significant reason why I'm a teacher today. So you're going to keep in your mind the person who's had an influence in your life because we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, what I want to talk about today is the role of the teacher and the role of the learner. This might seem like quite a specific topic, but I'm not talking about being teacher in a school. Okay, I'm on holiday now. I don't have to talk about that. Um, I want to talk about the biblical view of a teacher and a learner. Uh, and so, a bit of context to get us started. We're going to talk about some gifts this morning. All right? And so we're going to start in Ephesians 4.11 because the teacher in me feels like we need to explain that there are different kinds of gifts. So in Ephesians uh, 4.11 it says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, for the geeky teachers in the room, these are the ministry gifts. Okay, ministry gifts tend to come along with some study and maybe an official letter of appointment. Um, some people call these the five-fold ministry gifts or the gifts with a capital letter. Okay, not many people will have these gifts. If we look in 1 Corinthians, it said, And God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, the gifts of healing, helps, helps, interesting one, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Now, you'll know that you have a teaching gift if when you read that, you go, hmm, they're in order. You know, some people will read that and go, oh, cool, there's gifts, apostles, I wonder what that is, prophets, yeah. Teachers in the room go, wait a minute, first, second, third, is that, does that matter? And we, could, we could do a whole, we won't, we could do a whole lesson on, on whether that matters. So there's ministry gifts, and they're gifts that tend to come, as I say, with an appointment. Uh, but then, if we go a little earlier in Corinthians, same, uh, same chapter, different verse, we go to 7. These are different kind of gifts. These are what we call the manifestation gifts. And these are given to everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Are you seeing a pattern here? Who gives the gifts? The Spirit does. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These are manifestation gifts. These gifts are given to us 
to show the power of God. You know, when you pray for someone and they are healed, the only be- not the only benefit isn't just that they're healed, but also that people see that they witness the manifestation of the power of God. Yeah? And we can all be given these gifts at different times where God, where the Holy Spirit wants to manifest His power. Right? Leads people into relationship with Jesus. And so it's the second type. But the third type, the type that I want to talk about today, and this is a verse we're going to dig into, is Romans 12, 6 to 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, told you it was maths, proportion. If service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, we had great fun in class deciding what exhortation was. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So these are the motivational gifts, and I want to talk a little bit about these today. Obviously, I'm going to focus mostly on the teaching one, but it apply, what I'm going to say applies to the others. Now, notice right at the start, where the gifts come from? They're given to us. This is not a gift because I'm super special, right? This is a gift given to us by the Spirit, and it says, what should we do with it? We should exercise it accordingly. I'm going to come back to this a bit today, but there are, all of you here have gifts. When do you get the gift? You get the gift according to the grace given to us. When do we get grace? When we're saved. Yeah, one of my early teachers told me this is kind of like an Oprah Winfrey thing. You get saved, have a gift. Yeah, You're in a situation where you need the grace of God, have a gift. The Spirit gives you these gifts. And what should you do with them? Oh, you should hold on to them and wait for a sign. No, you should exercise them, use them. All right? So we're going to talk about that today. So I'm going to focus in on the teaching gift, because I love teaching. All right. And of course, with teaching, alongside that goes learning. I hope it does. Yeah, it should go learning. So part of what we're going to look at today is not just how do we teach, but how, are we, how do we be good learners. All right. So um, I don't know if you're aware, actually. I just wanted to, I was thinking about this before I got up. In this room, there's a whole lot of gifted people. A whole lot of gifted people. I was thinking about worship leading this morning. I haven't done worship leading, but do you know when you're worship leading, you're exercising all of these gifts? Yeah, you're leading all the time. You're teaching. We teach as we sing. Yeah, you're exhorting. You're encouraging. You're serving. You're administering. You're doing all of these things as you worship lead. Worship team, you're amazing. Thank you for your service. Thank you. But notice in this list, it's not in order. Yeah, it's not that one is greater than the other. If you came along this morning and you unlocked the doors and set out the coffee cups, the, the coffee cups this morning were set out in order. Did you see that? It made me feel good. Yeah. If you were doing that serving, that's just as important as the worship leading, it's just as important as whatever I'm saying this morning, right? Those gifts matter. 
we, we sometimes we, uh, we under-spiritualize them. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I just serve, you know? Yeah, we, we have some, I don't want to name people and call them out, but we have some amazing people in this church. Don't undersell what you do through the Spirit. Okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit about learning. Now, depending on which sociologist you read, and I read a few of those, um, there are either four stages of life or nine stages, if you want to get into substages. And uh, I have oh, oh, spiritual gifts. Go back there. So there's the three gifts, right? Ministry gifts. We're happy with that. Manifestation gifts. And we're going to talk about the motivation gifts, teaching. Okay. So I, want to, I do a graph. Hold you as a maths lesson. Let me talk you through this graph. My students are looking at this going, there's no scale on the vertical axis. This is clearly not an accurate graph. No. Graphs tell a story. So, we do a huge amount of learning at the start of our life. Yeah, consider a newborn baby. It learns to walk, to eat, to poop. Language, to talk, to communicate. The learning curve of a young child is off the chart, isn't it? It's massive. And then you go to school, and I hope the learning continues. Yeah, we do reading, writing, arithmetic, and physics, the most important subject. You do academic learning. Uh, but then, you know, you, you get to the end of schooling. You're in, you're in your teenage years, and some of us believe that it tapers off. Now, I've checked with the teenagers. That's not true. You actually know everything when you're a teenager. Yeah? You reach that point, oh, good, I know everything. It's always spike. <laughs> yes, what a, what a dad, you should leave home while you still know everything. Yes. Uh, but we have this myth that we finish school and we go off to work and maybe we're thinking about getting married or starting a life and uh, starting a family uh, and we're getting into our job and we go, oh, yeah, phew. School's done, learning's over. Yeah, and we, we have this myth that there's not much further learning that goes on in our life. I want to tell you that's not true. Yeah, and we have good quality peer-reviewed res research that shows us that. Yeah, if you believe that, that's not true. True learning across your life looks more like this. We have stages of rapid development, and then we plateau for a little while, and then we go off again. And it keeps going all the way right through your life. There is no point where you stop learning. No point. So how do we do it well? A lot of people consider that their learning finishes once they finish school. It's not the case. You have some control over how long you stay in one of these flat periods and when you start to go off on another learning curve. And sometimes God will put us in a time of steep learning. And that can be painful, can stretch our brains, but it's good for us. And then there can be a time where the learning plateaus a bit and we might be teaching and feeding into other people's lives. That's good as well. And then God will go, right, time for some more learning. I love learning. Yeah, I love the number, there are a number of people in here, I won't call your names out, that I know are doing additional study, even as adults. Yeah, 
I know of at least four people doing tertiary level study. That's awesome. If you need things proofread, please come and see me. I love doing that. So when Paul was teaching, he was saying not everyone in, in the church was to be an apostle or a prophet or a teacher, but all were to eagerly desire the greater gifts. So we can all have these gifts and you can all teach. And I was thinking to myself, when do we teach in life? Well, you might be a friend to someone and you go to give them counsel. You know, if you had a friend come to you, oh, I really need some help with this because you're about to teach. You might have a colleague at work. You know, oh, I don't know whether I should uh, invest my money here or I should buy this house. You're about to teach. You might go to comment on social media. Do you know that when you comment or like something on social media, you're teaching because you're reinforcing an idea? You've got to be very careful with that like button. You might be advising a family member. What am I going to do? You know, my, my brother's struggling with this or my, my sister's struggling with that or, you know, how can I help? You're teaching. If you're a parent... You are teaching all the time, all the time. In fact, if you're a parent, you're also an apostle and a prophet. You're an administrator. You're a server. You've got the gift of helps. You're going to need all of those. You know, I think, I think when, you, when you have a child, God goes, right, here, have a, you're going to need a whole lot of gifts. You're going to need mercy, <laughs> a lot of mercy. I'm sure the first time I bought home, a finger painting from, from kindergarten, and I was like, Dad, this is you. He had a big gift of mercy. <laughs> Great drawing, son. That's really good. Yeah? Happily, my third form teacher disabused me of that notion. At the end of, end of third form in art, the teacher called me aside, and she said to me, you know, I think science might be for you. My students love to remind me about my drawing skills. <laughs> yes, we won't go there. You might be fortunate enough to be put in a position where you're going to formally teach. Maybe you're in a small group or a home group. Uh, we have some people here who run fantastic Wednesday night teaching sessions. You might even get the opportunity to, to speak to the church. Your formal teaching, you're definitely teaching. Yeah, but it happens all the time in our life. And we need to eagerly desire to do that and to do it well. So, how do we take on the role of a teacher? How do we take on the role of a learner? Think back to the person you thought about at the start of the lesson this morning. I bet if I was to ask you to think about what was it that made that person influential in your life? Just think, what was it? What was the characteristic they had? I bet there'd be very few people who said, oh, they were super intelligent and they really knew what was right. They probably wasn't because they were good looking or rich. When I did this with my students, I got them all to come out the front of the class and write in a few words on the board what it was about that person that made them influential in their life. And there were words that were all very similar. They cared. They listened. They were there for me. Yeah, is that true for the people you're thinking of? 
What does that tell you about a good teacher? It's not the person who knows the most stuff. It's not even the person who knows the best stuff. You can't teach without relationship. You can't do it. It doesn't work. If you think back to your best teachers in school, I bet they were the ones that you felt like they cared about you. They weren't the ones that knew how to differentiate the maths the best. We need relationship. To teach, we need relationship. Now, I'm going to uh, go through some of these characteristics of teachers and some of the risks that go alongside them. So if you're going to be a good teacher, the things to develop are relationships at the center. First, your relationship with God and your relationship with Jesus. Because out of that comes relationship with people. That's what we need first. Teachers are collectors. How many times have you gone, oh, I'll just hold on to that. That might be useful later. My mum's a teacher. Hi, mum. My mum's a teacher. She does this really well. I'm just going to hold on to that. Every time I ring her, she says, oh, I've got some books that I can send you. You know, or I've found this that I kept from when you were young. I love that stuff. You know, teachers are good at collecting things and collating them. So that when someone comes to you and says, oh, I'm having a bit of trouble with this, you go, oh, I know just what will help. Yeah? If you have that in you, keep doing it. It's a good thing. We do have to study the Word. <laughs> we have uh, students in the room today. It's good that you came to church. You're going home this afternoon to study for exams. Yes. Uh, we've got exams coming up. And there'll be a number of senior students around the country that are going into this next two weeks. And they know that it's not really holiday. They know that it's a study break. I've been very careful in telling them, study break. Uh, my mum was very keen in encouraging me in study. She was really good at it. I thank her for it. And she bought me a poster uh, with a verse from the Bible, from 2 Timothy 2.15. And I know that she had to find the King James Version. Uh, and it was just the first half of the verse. And already I'm worrying because when we just take a small bit of a verse, it can go wrong. And you know what it said? She put this poster up in my room on the wall. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. I'd come home from school, she'd be like, study. St have you studied? We do have to study. We have to get correct interpretation. The role of a teacher is to explain, to interpret. And it's one of the great uh, stresses for a teacher that we might get it wrong. I have all sorts of things I'd love to preach about that I'm too scared to preach about because if I get the doctrine wrong, oh, that could lead someone astray. We don't want to go there. That's a fear. We have to get rid of that fear, but we have to get the study that goes alongside it to make sure we're getting the doctrine right. The last one, the, the end goal for a teacher, the highest thing we're aiming for is discernment and wisdom. Not knowledge, not oh, I can tell you the right or the wrong and it should be this or that. Wisdom. Wisdom's a bit different. The Bible tells us we should go after wisdom. Though it costs you everything, get wisdom. Now, when the Bible says that, it must be important. 
So what is this wisdom? Well, there was a, a verse in the verse of the day that came up last week from James 3.13. Who among you is wise and has understanding? Let him show it by his good deeds done in humility. So wisdom is not knowing a right or wrong answer. Wisdom is something that comes out in actions. That got me thinking. For each of these things that we want to develop, there's a danger. It's something that we fall into as teachers. So the danger for a teacher, first of all, is getting so caught up in being right that we forget about the relationship. Yeah? And this is, a, this is a big one. You have a friend that will come to you and they say, I need some help with this. And what you want to do is just slap them and go, you're doing the wrong thing, just do this. But the risk is damaging the relationship. So what do you do? Do you tell them the, the right thing or do you focus on the relationship? How do you get both? That's where wisdom comes in. Being able to maintain the dignity of the relationship while still speaking the truth in love. The risk of collecting and collating things is that you become a hoarder. <laughs> you never leave your study. You end up on TV. You've seen that show, The Hoarders. You can't get in the door because there's too much stuff. There's a time and a place for letting things go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the risk with interpreting Scripture is that we get it wrong and we lead people astray. And the Bible tells us not many of us should presume to be teachers because we're going to be judged on what we teach. That's scary. You know, like that, that scares me. What if I say something here that's not quite right, and someone takes that on board and goes and builds their life on it? Yikes. Praise the Lord that there is grace. Yeah. I'm also pleased to notice that there's a 20-second delay between what I speak and what goes out on the feed. I'm assuming that's so that if I say something wrong, they just quick cut it off. Yeah, that's probably what it is. But the thing is this, you can be uh, crippled by that fear. Yeah? As I prepare messages when I get the privilege to speak, I find I go through a period of that fear of, oh, can I really say that? That's scary. What if I get it wrong? We have to get through that fear to get through that fear to be courageous enough to speak stuff. Yeah? You're going to get opportunities in life to teach others, to work with others. Be brave. Speak truth. Don't be afraid. And the last one is discernment and wisdom. And I am being very careful with what I say on this. Um, it is easy to get into bubble think. You understand what I mean by bubble think? Bubble think is this. Um, in my Facebook feed, uh, I might say I like something. And Facebook is clever. It then says, oh, Julian likes that. Here's 50 more things that agree with that. Oh, yes, I like that. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. Suddenly, everything I'm reading says the same thing. Yeah, And it's a particular risk now with the internet where we've got so much information freely available to us. And we've got companies out there trying to feed us things. They don't actually care what they feed you as long as you're going to click on it. And so we get trapped in these little microcosms of thought. Yeah? Truly wise people 
don't just learn and think, but they think about how they're thinking. They go to that next level. They review their own thought process. It is good to hear from a variety of sources. You might remember back at school when your English teacher would give you an essay to write, and they'd say, you've got to have at least five different books. And you go, what, really? I just, everything I want is in this one book. You know, they knew, even back then, they knew. You need to have a variety of inputs into your life. And it's easy for teachers to get into this process. You know, you tell someone something, and they like what you say, and you feel good. So you tell them more of the same. And you begin to manipulate that person. If you're not careful to go back and look at your own teaching, you begin to lead people astray and down ways that you think are wise. If only we had a touchstone that we could go back to that we knew was true. You know, we talk to my students about this. What, how do we know when we've got it right or got it wrong? If the teaching lines up with the Scripture, you're on a good track. If it leads you closer to Jesus, you're on a good track. If it doesn't line up with the Scripture, throw it away, run away. Right? It's not good. All right. I want to talk about two examples. I'm watching the clock closely because I could teach for about three weeks on this. I won't, I promise. Two examples. Uh, well, let's go right back to the beginning. Anytime you look at something in the Bible, usually it goes right back to the beginning. I want to talk about Eve. And when we talk about Eve, we, we usually talk about the original sin. You know, they, Eve took the fruit and ate the fruit. Now, what was the sin there? Let's think about this. God creates the heavens and the earth, and He creates mankind in His image. We had such a good message on being in His image. What does it mean to be in His image? It means we were created to be in relationship with God and to co-rule with Him. That's a big statement, but I know it's true because it's in the Bible. Now, if we're going to co-rule with God, what are we going to need? We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need a lot of it. And Eve, when she looked at the tree in Genesis 3, she saw that the fruit was good to look at and desirable for gaining wisdom. Eve was after wisdom. It was a good thing to be after. It wasn't the sin to be after the wisdom. The sin was to go after it in her own strength without God. God had a plan. Yeah, Adam and Eve used to walk in the garden in the evening and talk with God. Man, that sounds good. I look forward to doing that. That was the plan. God knew you're going to need wisdom. I'm going to give it to you as you're ready in the right. He had a lesson plan. I'm going to follow the lesson plan and give it to you as you're ready. And the sin was going, no, we'll take it for ourselves. There's a second teacher uh, in the Bible, and I, I want you to turn to this one. This is in Acts 18. So we all know about Paul, who was one of the great teachers who wrote all the letters in the New Testament that we love so much. My students harass me sometimes because I love the Old Testament. So this is me proving that I also love the New Testament. Acts 18. Okay, and we're going to read about Apollos. 
So Paul is, has left Athens and he's in Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And Paul stays with these two Jews because they're tent makers and he's a tent maker. Makes sense. And he would reason in the synagogue, or reason in the synagogue every Sabbath and try to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so we get the context. Now, if we go down to... There it is. Thank you. 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man. When he spoke, people listened. Came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. When the Bible talks about Scriptures, it's talking about the Torah and the prophets and the writings, what we would think of as the Old Testament. He knew his stuff, and he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Cool. Now get this bit on the end. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. What do we get from this? So he's teaching accurately about the Lord from the Scriptures. But he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't know Jesus. There's a lesson in there when you want to start out teaching Teach what you know. It seems obvious, but it can be tempting to teach things that you sort of know. I, I kind of know a bit of it. No. Teach what you know. He taught accurately. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos was humble enough even though he was mighty in the Scriptures, he was humble enough to go and learn. As a teacher, we have to be humble enough to keep learning, to learn from other people who know better. And then once he had learned, he wanted to go across to Achaia, and the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So he was teaching accurately, he was humble enough to go and learn some more, and then he was recommended to go and do more teaching. Do you see that? There's a temptation as a teacher to become arrogant. Oh, yes, I know what is right. Let me teach you what is right. Listen to me. Yeah? And I don't do that in class. Thus saith Mr. Adamson. No, we need to be humble enough to learn. That's one of the best things about being a teacher is that you're in that situation with learners all the time and you can learn from them as much as they can learn from you. What makes a good learner? I'm going to wrap up with this. To be a good learner, we shema. I get to go back to the Old Testament. We hear and obey. It's that wisdom coming through your actions. Don't just Listen, oh yes, now I know what is right. Collect that in my notes. I have some students who make fantastic notes in color with borders. I want to collect those notes. But that's not enough. You then have to apply it and do something with it. Shema. And we meditate. One of my students said, 
when did you finally figure out that you knew everything in the Bible? <laughs> Do you know how long it takes to know everything in the Bible? At least a lifetime. Yeah? Psalm 1 says we should meditate on it day and night. And if we do that, at least a lifetime. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible. It has safety that you can go into it as a new Christian and get wonderful teaching, but it has depth that you can never get to the bottom of. Praise the Lord. But more importantly, more importantly than studying, more importantly than figuring out what's right and wrong, is the relationship. Remember? What made the great teacher? The relationship. What, why did Jesus come? So that we might have relationship restored with him. See, it doesn't matter whether you're going to be teaching or prophesying or administering or serving or doing helps, whatever helps is. I think I probably know some people who are good at helps. Yeah, I'm not good at administration. If you're good at administration, thank you. Whatever you're going to be doing, at the core of it has to be relationship. You see, we don't eagerly go after the gifts so that we can have the gifts. We eagerly go after the gifts to have relationship with Jesus. Yeah, that's what we're after. In the end... We're not going to be judged on whether I got right or wrong. It's not like a maths test. How close was your relationship with God? You know, Will you get to the end and have God say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or depart from me, I knew you not. Didn't have relationship. All of these things hinge on that. Now. Worship team, if we can come back for some more, please. Love the worship. This morning, I would like to pray for a few groups of people. Uh, And I have battled with myself as to how to do it. I'm still not sure. I would like to uh, pray for parents, first of all. If you're a parent or a grandparent... You can choose. You can stand up if you want, or you can just you can stay seated, but I'd like to pray for you. Because parents, you are the primary teacher. And I can say that as a school teacher. Parents are the primary teacher. I'd like to pray for you. So if you're a parent, you can stay seated. You can stand if you want. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we proclaim you as the creator, you as the Lord of all lords. Lord, thank you that you have given us parents to teach. Parents, to show us the right way, to raise us up as we should go. Lord, I honor my own parents, but I honor all the parents in this room, Lord. I pray you give them a fresh anointing, fresh outpouring of your gifts. Lord, for parents who are struggling, would you give them more energy? Would you give them joy in what they're doing? Lord, for parents in Auckland in lockdown who have run out of ideas, who are thinking, with dread of holidays, Lord, would you give them fresh anointing, fresh blessing. We honor those parents, Lord. We honor our parents and grandparents, Lord, who are in that role. And anyone who takes on that role of raising children, Lord, would you bless them? Thank you, Father. The second group that I would like to pray for this morning are people who 
who maybe don't know what their gift is, or maybe they do know, but they feel like I haven't really been using it. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure God's given me a gift of prophecy, but I just don't know how to use it. If you're that person, if you're those people, if you're online and that's you, you can stand or you can just put yourself in the right headspace for this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that you give us gifts, gifts that you tell us to use. Lord, we repent of times where we've kept those gifts to ourselves, where we've hidden and waited for a sign. Lord, I pray you would give us the courage, the boldness to step out and use those gifts. Give us opportunity to use those gifts. And Lord, that as we use them, you would be right there with us, with the Holy Spirit, empowering, empowering us to use those gifts to influence, to change lives, to bring people back into relationship with you. Thank you, Father, that you give those gifts. Help us, help us to eagerly desire those gifts. given to words of knowledge or prophecy, but I do feel like this morning there's some people who specifically feel like at some point you felt like you had a gift, but it's just not there. It feels like it's dried up. That gift doesn't go away. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you a gift and take it away. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed, God is still there and He still wants relationship with you. If you are in that situation and you would like some prayer this morning, then when we finish up this morning, come out the front. I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray that God would reignite that gift for you and give you opportunity to use it. These gifts are for the blessing of the church, for the blessing of the body. We need to use them. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good, a good God, that you love us so much, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, and that you give good gifts. Praise you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would go with us this week. You would give us opportunities to use those gifts to make a positive difference for people. And I pray you'd be with us as we do it, empowering those situations. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. I pray that as we go out of here, you would bless everybody. In Jesus' name, amen.